Learn the most advanced recruiting techniques. Land the most desirable talent. Launch your company towards massive success. This is the Higher Power Radio Show with Rick Gerard. Hire for the three C's. We're talking about culture, capacity, and craft. I'm your host, Rick Gerard, and welcome to the Higher Power Radio Show. Our mission is to discuss and deconstruct insights from top-performing entrepreneurs and industry experts. Every week, we uncover tested tactical solutions to solve your company's toughest hiring problems. Today, our guest is Jordan Ritter. Yo. Jordan is an accomplished entrepreneur, technologist, uh, having co-founded several companies, including music company Napster. Yep. Um, but a goodie. Yeah, I know. An oldie but a goodie. Uh, messaging security platform CloudMark and labor as a service platform CloudCrowd. Most recently, personal digital insights search engine Atlas Informatics. So, Jordan, welcome to the Higher Power Radio Show. Happy to have you here today. Thank you. Great to be here, Rick. Absolutely. So, we're going to talk about something you came up with, which mm. is the three C's. Indeed. And uh, we're going to teach you guys how to apply this methodology to your company for hiring. So let's talk about that. Let's break in. What are the three C's first? Well, uh, three C's uh, explicitly stand for culture, mm-hmm. capacity, and craft in okay. that order. Uh, and it's uh, an acronym that we used in my last company to talk about how we hire uh, the types of people we're looking for and how to distinguish ourselves gotcha. um, uh, against uh, the way it's normally done. So Got it. Uh, normally the way we no- hire, we look at a job description, it's got a bunch of Need this, need this, need this. Nice yeah. to have, nice to have once. Uh, and then we look at resumes and we calculate between the two. Like, oh, yes, yes, no, yes, no. Okay, 80% match. Uh, great, let's hire this person. Yeah. And uh, that has zero, right, repeat, zero to do with what makes a great employee. So very true. Okay, we're going to get into that because that's like my favorite subject. I'm even giving a talk <laughs> tomorrow. So uh, let's talk about culture because yeah. and we're gonna. this is a popular subject in this radio station especially with our engineer, Paul, because he thinks culture is bullshit, mm. which, you know, it could be, and bullshit could be a culture. That is, actually, bullshit is a culture. We yeah, exactly. president. Uh, right now, bullshit is the that. predominant culture in a lot of <laughs> in politics, yes. And he chimes in. All right. All right, so let's talk about culture. So um, how do you look at culture? Yeah, so I think if we step back just for a second uh, and, and ask that question more broadly, not just about the work environment, but in, in normal, everyday society, uh, to me, what culture is, uh, it's a set of values, a set of principles, it's a general mindset and a, a, a collection of who, what's important, what's not important, who, who do I like, who, what am I about, all these types of things. Yeah. Uh, and that, to me, is what makes great relationships in the world. That, tra- that also translates into the workplace. Like when I'm with someone who is akin to my culture, shares my values, shares my principles, works at the same level that I do... Um, I have I have a great experience. That person has a great experience, and we are far more effective than than we, if we would just been matched by some eighty percent match algorithm. Yeah, yeah, that's totally. so. So culture to me is actually the most important thing we should be looking for. It's why it's the first C in the three C's. If you can define what that looks like and understand how to apply that, then uh, uh, you'll you much much better job in hiring. Folks. And man, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, culture is so key because you can have one bad person in a company or one. One person who's not necessarily bad, but just doesn't fit the culture, and it just screws up the whole flow of everything. You have a distinct kind of piece of the culture that you look at. So, like, what what is it about the culture that you're you're talking about? Like the evolution of the culture. So, the way we think about culture, there's a lot of different ways to think about it. Some companies will 
uh, engage in a Jim Collins-esque process and throw words up on a wall and people go, okay, that word I like, that word I don't, and they'll kind of triangulate on that. But we- it's really important that those fit. Right. Who your company is. Well, that's definitely that's true. Usually, and there's usually a disconnect there. Uh, almost always a disconnect yeah, there. Yeah, okay. But the way we thought about it was as three specific things. One is a set of values, uh, separate and distinct from a set of values, or uh, what we called ethos or mindset. Uh, also, uh, a set of words, sometimes phrases, that uh, talk about what's uh, important to the company. And the third is traits. Okay. And we use these three categorizations because the word values and the category of values are very important in that they're words that we think represent us, define us, that we use, could use on a daily basis to evaluate, assess, praise, and critique each other. Sure. But sometimes other words kind of make it into the same pool, like traits, like like self-reliance. We value that. We might want to call that a value, but that's a terrible value from the standpoint of being able to say you were very self-reliant or you weren't. Because but it's not really measurable, though, either, right? That's exactly correct. Yeah. So we, we separate these things out, values being the thing that you use to evaluate, assess, praise, and critique. Sure. Um, mindset ethos phrases like um, uh, dirty hands make you wrong uh, sorry clean hands make you wrong get your hands dirty right these kinds of things that also characterize your culture and your spirit but you wouldn't use that to evaluate someone and then traits things that you tend to be looking for that you value but aren't actually values themselves wait okay so what was that dirty hands comment because that was actually Ah, kind of interesting clean hands make you wrong okay it's a sentiment yeah. Uh, at least in my kind of companies, that means dirty your hands with endeavor. Yeah. Try it. See what works. See what doesn't work. Speak from uh, an experienced position of knowledge and not one that's just simply theoretical. Another example, uh, sooner is better. Now is best. Yeah. That's culture. That's an, a sentiment. That's an ethos. But it's not a value. Yeah. But it definitely defines what we were about. Absolutely. Sooner is better. Now is best. Okay. Excellent. So that brings us to capacity. Now, let's let's get your definition on what capacity is. So I think, uh, you know, again, kind of to go back to what typical recruiting process looks like. Yeah. You know, we're looking for skills. And, and just as a foreshadow, craft is skills. Those are craft is skills. So yeah. it's on the list. It's just third. It's also cheese. It's, <laughs> it's also cheese. If you don't know how to spell. Um, but uh, uh, for me, there is a, a very important distinction between the things that you know and your ability to learn new things. So for me, what I call capacity for mastery, which is the full sentence there, the first okay. second C is capacity for mastery. Google is sometimes called velocity of learning. Okay. It's your ability to learn new things that is itself a skill skill that trumps all other skills because with that one skill, you can basically do anything else. Yeah. But when you're looking at a resume, how do you evaluate a person's capacity for mastery independent of what programming language they know in my industry you know, or what skills they might have or what things they might have put on their resume. Okay, and don't give that up yet because okay, right. I want to talk about that in the second part of the show. All right. But yeah, that that's a really interesting thing. So how do you gauge critical thinking and, and problem-solving skills? Well, actually, so that, that's so the they, distinction. In, in critical they, thinking skills. Yeah, critical thinking. To me, problem-solving skills are skills. That's craft. Yeah. Right? I've seen this pattern before. Uh, there are five ways to solve it. Here are the five possible things we should try. Got it. The critical thinker can look at the problem and recognize, oh, it isn't one of those things at all. None of those five things apply. Let's synthesize a new solution for this. Got it. Okay. Different. Yeah, most definitely. And so the capacity is dealing primarily with the critical thinking. That's right. Craft is problem solving skills. Basically. Okay. And then I would imagine also the actual hard skills that they bring to the table that yeah. the company needs. That's craft. Yeah. Okay. It isn't cheese in this, in this case. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about craft. Um, 
So this is where people start. Most companies start with, okay, I need I need skills, right? Mm-hmm. And I agree with you 100% where this is should be the last thing that you look at. I always look at, hey, let's let's look at transferable skills and the other evidence that helps to uh, ensure that this person is going to be successful in your company, mm-hmm. right? What do you look for in skills? It's, is it prob- primarily just the problem-solving skills, or are you talking about, like, the actual, you know? Well, I think, so to anchor it in my industry, uh, mm-hmm. which has largely been uh, software engineering, you yes. know, a concrete skill looks like C++. It looks like knowledge of a particular database or experience with a certain <coughs> uh, set of platforms. Sure. Testing for those is, is quite simple. Like if it's a C++, you give them a C++ programming problem. If it's yeah. working with AWS, you ask them certain things about the platform. I think that that's the most common way we interview, and it's also probably the most well understood, although people still do a terrible job at it, sure. sadly. Yeah. But I, I don't think there's a whole lot of depth to uncover there yeah. versus, say, you know, how do you uh, interview for the other stuff. Yeah, and there's a lot of interesting ways in which people test skills, right? And, and you mentioned that there's a lot of wrong ways that people do it. Oh, yes. Um, are you a proponent of coding tests? I go back and forth. Yeah. For me, in my evaluation of other people, if I give someone a coding test, I am testing a lot more than their ability to code. Like, it's the nature of the problem. It's it's writing a sidecar to their thought process and their organization, their mental organizational model and how they deconstruct problems. Mm-hmm. There's so much richness when you're given an abstract problem and told to go write a piece of software to solve this problem. The place I see a lot of coding test uh, approaches fail is that they're not party to all of that other richness. They're simply the thinking a party, process that's evolved. They're simply a party to give me the program. Yeah, they run it. They run it through their test suite, and if it works, it's fine. And like, okay, like maybe that's not invalid. It's not totally valid, but it completely missed a ton of really rich value. So my last company, we did do programming tests, and we had two other interviewers in the room with them yeah. while they coded, either watching over their shoulder or whiteboarding with them and asking about the processes they went along. Gotcha. Okay. Did you find that that actually up the level of talent that you guys were able Absolutely. to try? Absolutely. Yeah. In fact, I would, I would argue it filtered, it did a more effective job of filtering out the people who weren't a fit for the roles that we were looking for. Taking into consideration, they make it past the other two, right? Well, the, I think, you know, again, there's a little bit of foreshadow being a party to the whole process of that is how you evaluate critical thinking skills. Sure. Seeing how a person thinks. Like we would often see people have to ask uh, 20 different questions in order to understand the problem that we thought was stated clearly. Sometimes we would learn something about ourselves and yeah. we goofed on it. And, and But more oftentimes we would learn about how it was really hard for, for certain kinds of people, you know, with certain experience level to um, not be able to conceptualize complex programs. But isn't that sometimes a good thing that they're actually making sure that they have all the right information before they approach it? Good yeah, the, the test isn't how many questions you ask, yeah. right? It's it's the quality of the questions, the thought process. It's a very soft uh, skill to develop in evaluating that in other people. Got it. But there is a, a wealth of information you get from writing along that process Got versus it. the take-home coding test, which I just don't think is, they can be cheated. They're sometimes valid, but not always. Got it. We're talking with Jordan Ritter, the CEO, actually former co-founder of Napster. Mm. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about actually how to implement this into this methodology into your company. Be right back. You're listening to Higher Power with Rick Gerard, giving you access to recruiting techniques that will help you hire key talent to build your company towards real success. 
Rick is a recruiting executive and entrepreneur who's been successfully recruiting in the aggressive Silicon Valley technology landscape for the past two decades. After a very successful stint at Apogee, he founded Stride Search in 2012. Based on a lean efficiency model, Stride has uniquely positioned itself as a leader in retained search for the most critical talent hires within a small organization. Whether you're a startup executive or recruiting professional, by listening to Hire Power with Rick Gerard, you will walk away with skills to help you attract and hire great talent. Now back to Hire Power with Rick Gerard. And welcome back to the show. <laughs> uh, I'm your host, Rick Gerard, and you're listening to the Hire Power Radio Show. Jordan Ritter is our guest. He's the former co-founder of Cloudmark, which recently sold a proof point for 135 million bucks. Cha-ching. Cha-ching. So, <laughs> so we just discussed a little bit about the three C's. Now we're going to actually explore in more depth uh, how to implement this into your system. So let, let's talk about how we apply this methodology. I think you have a really unique uh, way in which you kind of approach the interview, right? Yeah. So, you know, what does it look like normally? You know, you as an interviewer, you're handed someone's resume, hopefully more than five minutes beforehand, but oftentimes five minutes beforehand, yeah. you read through the resume, you look for some interesting things to ask about, oh, these bullet points, these, these types of experiences, and you walk in the room and you say, okay, tell me about this thing you put on your resume, and you conduct the entire interview that way. Yeah. I think it's not invalid, but I think, again, just like the take-home coding test, it missed out on a ton of richness. And at the end of the day, your job as an interviewer is, uh, you know, you've got an imbalanced power dynamic in the room. You're the one who controls the opportunity. There's confirmation bias in the room. The the interviewer, the interviewee wants to tell you things you want to hear. Yeah. Right? So you, you're up against all these challenges to actually do a good job in, in filtering somebody. And then you also have the emotions of the interviewee, too, that's that right. could cloud what you're really getting. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. The confirmation bias is the interviewees. Yeah. They want to please you, the interviewer, because they want that job. And they usually come prepared with canned answers. Maybe. That they, yeah. Yeah, very likely, because yeah. they're the ones that wrote the resume. Yeah. But the, the so all these things sort of interfere with a normal process actually running well. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to say it can't run well, but I, my experience, most of the time, it doesn't. So what we did was we sort of flipped that on its head and we said, okay, when we sit down and, and you as an interviewer, your job is to figure out your job is to figure out whether or not this person is a fit for the role. How do you do that? Well, if we go back to the three C's, culture being the most important thing yeah. and capacity for mastery being the second most important thing and skills will uh, and craft will sort of fall out of all of that, then the way we would approach it is we'd look at the resume and we'd say, nothing on the resume is actually relevant. Ooh, What's actually relevant is the white space in between all of the different things on the resume call it a white space interview or formally the narrative arc interview okay because as an interviewer our job is to plot their arc in life in their career and then to make the assessment ourselves as interviewers whether or not that intersects with the arc of the company and the culture and everything else going on there yeah and just to add to that a point the resume is really only to track career history i mean to see how length of space i mean in i think that's it, evolving in, in this yeah. day and age where there's so many people competing, they have to differentiate. So people are starting to get creative. It's but when you thing. have a low unemployment market, people yeah. don't put as much time into their resumes as they do when there's a high unemployment market. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's true. They just they don't have to. Right. And, you know, somebody who's busy is going to put two or three bullet points and, you know, over the past 10 years of what they worked on. And, and that's all I want to do. Yep. And, you know, you can't blame them. Yep. Yeah. So tell me, like, what does this white space interview look like? So normally... So I'm going to I'm going to give it away. At the end of the day, it ends up looking more like a psych profile than it does an actual interview. But that's good, though. It, it, it is if you, if you receive that in the right frame. 
right? Some people might are, are sometimes put off by that concept, but what you're really trying to do is to understand this person. It's a form of, you could also use another metaphor, it's a form of speed dating. Yeah. Like, I want you to get to know me very quickly, and I want to get to know you very quickly. And yeah. I'm not going to get to know you and evaluate your culture or the, your critical thinking skills by asking you about that thing you, you talked about building on your resume. Yeah. Instead, I'm going to get it by understanding who you are as a person. One of the questions, the first questions I'll ask, uh, it's a really kind of meta, weird, weird question. It always produces an amazing result. Is Rick? Yes, uh, Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> who is Rick Gerard in your own words? Hmm. Okay, that's a great start. It's it's a weird question to ask. Well, I'm not you, answering. Why don't you it? I'm not going to answer it. Really? No, oh, I'm okay. secretive about who All I right. am. Another one. Uh, which... I'm a plethora of useless information. Oh, that's I doubt that seriously. <laughs> Another one that we use to start it off would be. Okay, I'll answer it if you want me to. Yeah, you want to answer it? Go for it. No. You know, I'm a husband, Rudd? father, and I'm a outstanding professional search, executive search consultant. So what I would do with that answer. And, and, oh, and, and radio and show popular host. Radio show host. Holy crap. But see, no, no, no. But see, you put me on the, the spot. It's not about being complete. You didn't, you didn't make me unnervous first. The, the site <laughs> thing is about understanding what is important to you. Yeah, it's and getting you to the truth. what you pick first and second and third are the leading indicators of what's important to you. Ah. I've sat in interviews with engineers with massive careers, and engineering doesn't occur in the list when I ask that question. They say, I'm a father, I'm a tinkerer, uh, I'm a husband, and like again, we're evaluating culture. What is this person's values? Yeah. What are their priorities? What's important to them? Boom, you get a lot out of that question just by asking it in that way. And you didn't tell them what the answer was that you were looking for, so there's no confirmation bias. Sure. And then. I flip it around and I tell you who I am. Yeah. Right? We do the same thing. So it's a it's a very different style of interviewing. There are technical questions, but what you're looking for when you ask uh, ask white space questions, something like, okay, it's you're looking at two different jobs, you know, consecutive jobs on the resume, and mm -hmm. they say and you say, okay, like that's a weird. So you were doing software development, software development, software development, and boom, now you're doing product management. Yeah. Um, that's an interesting shift. So tell me about the last day of your last software development job, put me in your shoes at your office on the last day. Look left, look right. Tell me what's going on around you and what's going on inside you. And here's where the interesting things come out. Like you might ask, why did you get into pro uh, technical program management or product management? And I'll give you some sort of canned answer. Yeah. But yeah. you get a much richer answer in this hypothetical case where they're like, well, I've been doing development all my life and, you know, I had this one really great experience with a manager as an engineer like two companies ago and I started dabbling it in this company and then I found this opportunity or this opportunity came to me and so I spent like three months researching it blah 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 blah. and you're you able like to this, see the passion there you too, see right? that right yeah. so how do you evaluate a person's capacity for mastery their yeah. critical thinking skills yeah. it comes out in the passions and the passions come out in the white space not on the bullet points absolutely right so it's it, it again you know kind of kind of maybe gave it away by calling it a psych profile it's not, it's not like you're not psych interrogating someone, but you're getting a sense of their psychology and you're doing it in a way that allows you to build empathy and rapport and to reciprocate, which is also part of that. Like, yeah. well, wow, that was great because I had one of those shifts in my career and here's what that sounded like. And you start building a dynamic. There. And it helps you build into the values of how they fit into your culture. Yeah, exactly. Well, right. Yeah. And that's your job. Yeah. It's not to ask them what are your values yeah. or what do you want to be in five years, even though it's a very common question that gets asked. It's your job as the interviewer to answer that yourself. And, and you know, ultimately, when you're hiring somebody, it's a gut decision that you're making and you need to load up the gut 
with good information, with accurate information. Yeah, you gotta get to the truth. I I love that. I, yeah. I, I used that phrase a lot in my last company. I might that, have stole it from you. I don't know. Oh, really? Well, <laughs> I mean, the, the logic was we've been consciously thinking for 20,000 years maybe. Yeah. But this part of us down here in our gut has been around for hundreds of thousands of years. When it tells us something, like run, run. Yeah, like, absolutely. You, so there's a lot more experience and knowledge there. What I actually is a learning experience for me in this last company using that metaphor uh, had uh, a little bit of uh, drawback to it. Because there's some people who think, who simplify what thinking from the gut means as just making thoughtless, emotional decisions. And those are never good. No. What we mean when we say thinking from those the gut. Those are usually based on bias. It, it, all sorts of things. And yeah. that's a valid point if that's what you're advocating. That yeah. wasn't what we were advocating. No. Yeah. Advocating was taking stock of all the information that you feel. Like, is it an easy conversation or is it a hard conversation? Is it easy to build rapport? Are you, uh, do you feel comfortable? Do I feel comfortable? Like all these things are not, not necessarily conscious thoughts, but they're things that you can feel within yourself and raise the level of conscious awareness. Yeah. That's thinking from your gut, right? Like if you see the perfect, amazing, most, most amazing resume, it checks off all the boxes and it was a painful struggle to have this conversation with someone. Guess what? It's going to be a bad hire. Yeah. You know what? And I have in my career made so many hires that were not the resumes weren't even close mm. but the culture and everything else fit and the person fit from a personality perspective and most of the times when i send over a great resume that person never got hired really they checked off all the boxes yeah well maybe that's a good sign that you've been imparting some good wisdom on your clients yeah i would hope so <laughs> <laughs> i would hope so i mean you know that's that's i'm here to serve <laughs> Now let's let's break into the capacity piece, right? So, like, now how does this transition into the critical thinking? I, I tell this story, really awesome engineer. I'll spare him uh, naming him, but this was back in my CloudMark days when I first came up with this idea. Okay, uh, I've been interviewing. I had this really clever, founded the place and then became CTO. I had this really clever four-part programming question that took about an hour, and it was all about critical thinking and assessing of these things. And I've been interviewing this guy. He's a good guy. You know, seemed typical as a startup guy. He'd done like three other startups, sure. two or three years each, the same same normal pattern. But I really wasn't inspired. And I had about, and he blew through the questions. So, you know, I had 10 minutes left to kill. And so I was sort of sitting there and I spitballed, you know, so uh, what else are you into? Yeah. And then his eyes lit up. And he says, well, let me tell you about brewing beer. And I sat back and I was like, oh. He's like, and then he launched. He launched in this whole thing about the setup that he built in his garage, and he told me about the different kinds of hops and the different <laughs> kinds of this, and if you let nice. it sit for an extra two hours after you bottle it in the sunlight, you'll get this effect, but if you don't and you do this instead, you'll get this kind of effect, and so he's currently working on this, and like, you could not shut him up for like five minutes straight. Wow. And what I realized in that moment was, like, he seemed like an average programmer. Turns out he was a great programmer. Yeah. And he was there at the sale of CloudMark, so good for him. Yeah. But there was this passion that sort of came out in this narrative sort of white space question. Like, you know, the typical one we ask is what are your hobbies? But you know, you can ask that question in a, in a totally uninspiring way and get an uninspiring answer and not yeah. uncovered the truth. But when you ask these passion oriented questions or when, when as you're walking through the narrative of someone's life and their career and you sense some passion and then you zero in on it and you go after it yeah, and then they explode and they launch and they tell you about this amazing stuff, you can assess how they thought about these problems, like they didn't know anything about brewing beer in this case, uh, and they rocked it out, 
and they, they self-studied, were self-taught, and they were experimentalists, and like all these values just sort of come flowing out of those experiences that they were having, and you're looking at how they think and how they approached it. So it isn't just about passion and excitement. It's about their mental model and how they thought about the things that they, they took on as challenges. Sure. You can find that anywhere, whether it's a hobby, whether it's in their job, whether it's in being a parent. Like sometimes when you ask, you know, who are you? And they say, I'm a parent, first yeah. and foremost, I'm like, wow, so that's a big deal to you. Like, what's something you've learned there? And you kind of follow those threads wherever you find the passion. Yeah, absolutely. And hey, there's hints out there for people's passions, too, that you can key upon before you bring them in for an interview. LinkedIn sure. has an interest section, right? It's true. Back in the day, and actually they still, you know, you help prepare people for interviews. Mm -hmm. And I like to make sure that they check out people's profiles and look at the interests and see if there's any commonalities so that they can at least have that connection. We have, a, share that connection. We have a lot more information these days to work yeah. from. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we're also uh, in an increasingly manicured social networking environment where people really put a lot into what those facades look like. Oh, yeah. So you, it's a great, great way to start the conversation. My, the way I taught it, and it, it's not, not the only right way to do it, and, and there aren't only just other wrong ways to do it, but the way I taught it to do it, taught to do it was, sure, have some of that information at hand, but have the conversation be driven by the arc. So you start at the beginning you know, of what did they want to be when they were young? Like, Got I it. wanted to be a space, exp a, a space explorer. Didn't want to be an astronaut. I wanted to be a space explorer. Kind of tells you a little bit already. Okay. Like, I'm, not, I'm a scientist, but I don't want to do the science. I want to go see new places and do new things. I'm like, ooh there's a thread sure let's right and you find that these things kind of repeat themselves throughout their lives but most often they don't even recognize that until they hear it you're like oh did you notice da, 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 da. got it so how do you how do you apply that then to whether or not the person's going to be a good hire what if that passion is something that's totally what, what do you look for well i think i think that's why when we start with culture uh, as an important thing to hire for, and we talk about values and mindset and traits, yeah. that it's important for you as an individual and for your community or your culture or your company yeah. um, as a collective to have figured out what it should be. But how did you make you that correlation in. with the beer story, right? Like, how did that transfer over? It was, this was, was a just person a who loved to nerd out on things. And yeah. We had a lot of nerdy stuff to do. Yeah. Right? Which... You could say it uh, wasn't on the business plan. Find nerds. Uh, we were all nerds. <laughs> we were definitely all nerds. I, I'm pretty sure that's a prerequisite for tech <laughs> companies, right? Uh, nah, these days I'm not so sure. I think hip hip is more important than nerds. Is it hip now? I don't know. Who knows? I'm I'm an old man now. Yeah, you but, and I both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what I what I'm saying is, it's so important to have an accurate picture of what the culture of the company is. And again, you're not you're not making a checklist like. Like I, this actually happened in my last company. Uh, there, there was a, a point at which folks wrote down each value and there was some value to doing this, wrote down each value and evaluated each candidate against the values. Hmm. That's one way to do it. It's not inaccurate, but to me, that's sort of trying to uh, uh, reduce the complexity and richness to a simple like, if this, then yes. If well, there's this, no algorithm yes. for this. There's no algorithm for yeah. it. Well, there is, it's just a soft algorithm. Sure. Right. Okay. Like you're you're reading them and yourself. Yeah. This is like the traveling salesman algorithm, right? It's kind of you don't. There's really no right answer for it. You have to adapt. You can get close. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, adaptability was one of our core values. That uh -huh. is something you can measure. There you go. All right. So when you break down the interview, and we're kind of running out of time, but so you're you're crafting an interview where you're spending how much time in culture, how much time in capacity, and how much time on craft. Yes. 
<laughs> it's one. And interview. there you have it, guys. It's one interview. Yeah. You get all of that by following a person's narrative arc. Okay. If you're good at it and you ask questions about the white space and you avoid the bullet points and you, you think of it as I'm trying to get to know you and I'm trying to build, see how easy it is to build rapport and empathy mm-hmm. and to actually do that and to come away with a, a gut check of does this feel like a fit as well as an intellectual check of do I think they can do the job and will they be effective contributors to the company? It's all of those things all at once. Got it. I think, I now, think when, your when, question is a valid one for your yeah. audience, but I, I'll say I've seen people try to take my process and, and, and fit it with only spend this amount of time there, and it always sh- it comes up short. Yeah. Well, you know, when you have multiple interviewers, though, it, what's it's interesting is you want to you can't do the same thing over and over again. You can't have three or four people. You, you can? can really? Surprisingly, you can. Okay. It, it's it's uh, because no one does it the same way. Got it. And and we don't hand a list of questions to ask and say, hey, like figure this out. It's a problem solving mm-hmm. versus a critical thinking approach. Problem solving approach would be, oh, the problem is. Uh, how do we interview people? The solution is here are the five questions to ask first. Here are the three questions to ask second. Like, no, it's a critical thinking exercise for sure. everybody. Sure. Like sit down in the room, take stock of who they are based on the things that stood out to you and ask your own white space questions. So in a way you can, you can actually prep it by having the person ask the same question in a different way. Yeah. That's one way to different think about wording. it. I mean, you can. Yeah. Okay. Well, shoot, we're just about out of time for today's show. I, we need more time on our show, I think. <laughs> Jordan, thanks for your time investment today. And, and I want to welcome you to the Higher Power Radio community. Woohoo! Woohoo! Yeah, you're the newest member. Yeah! Cash money, <laughs> cash money! <laughs> now, I'm sure, um, I'm sure there's people that are out there that would love to reach out to you and find out more. Um, what would be the best re- way to the, for them to reach you? Uh, shoot me an email. Okay. And first name? Jordan at dark ridge, like the dark ridge of a mountain.com. Dot com. All right. So I want to thank our listening audience for tuning in to this week's episode of Higher Power. Quick thanks to our team, which Paul Roberts, our engineer, which you guys actually heard for the first time on the show today. <laughs> <laughs> our producers, Andrea Ballin, Shanti Ryle, and our executive producer, Kim Iverson. To listen to this show and any past episodes, you can check us out on Hire. That's H I R E. It's not a religious show. Power, P-O-W-E-R, radio, R-A-D-I-O dot com or Higher Power Radio on iTunes. Hey, check me out tomorrow. I will be speaking at Disrupt HR at the Cove at UC Irvine. Or you can follow me on Twitter at Rick underscore Gerard. we got another great show lined up for you guys next week. Our guest will be staffing industry expert Scott Cuthin, CEO of Amtech. I'm your host, Rick Gerard. And you have been listening to the Higher Power Radio Show. Aloha. Thank you for listening to Higher Power with Rick Gerard on OC Talk Radio. 